Hey yo, and here we go. Another episode of We Talk Music is on the air and in your ear. And once again, I'm Martin and have with me the king of the casters, Mr. Brett Podcast. Brett, uh, we got ourselves a, a, a Canadian icon uh, to me. To me, this man is an icon. He's wow. a Canadian legend. He is a Canadian treasure. He is... Uh, that's I'm Canadian, right. and I'm none of these things. <laughs> well, we are prepared to go blackout crazy because I know that that uh, that we we love this band, we love listening to them, and uh, I'm super excited to talk to Larry Gilstrom from Pickaxe. Larry, how are you? I'm great. How are you guys? Well, we're awesome. Uh, like like I say, I mean, you know, we think you're great. So uh, super happy to have you on the show. <laughs> It's always good to be on a show with people who think I'm great. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, first off, uh, Blackout Crazy. So glad to have new music from you guys. Um, let's talk about how it came about. Well, uh, we've been working on new music for a long time. Uh, there's just a lot of things that have prevented it from going all the way to being something we released. And so some of these songs have been around for quite a while. Um, it, it was during the COVID period that uh, Danny and I really worked hard on, we really wanted to get some music out with him singing on it because he's been singing with the band for 14 years now. We don't have any actual product released to the public with him singing. Um, you know, it's frustrating for him and, and I really wanted to get something out with him on it. And so with COVID, there was a lot of time to work on things and we put together about six songs and uh, this is the first of of those it's uh you know we thought we thought we'd lead with this one because it really represents the the fact that the band is still the way they were back in the 80s we haven't mellowed out we're still playing <laughs> blackout crazy and uh most of the you know all the other songs are going to be along that lines there's there's very little mellow material if any like that i can recall and anything that we put together just because you know we're really excited to be doing some some new material and uh yeah so we led with that one and, and it's a lot of fun it's the best song in our set live to have fun with and so we thought this is the right one to do yeah it's one of the things about about you guys i mean because we got a chance to see you when you played with helix and the killer dwarfs uh here and that was such a great show yeah i love those guys <laughs> yeah i mean and it's so much fun to be able to see you live but like one of the things that mont and i were talking about just a couple of days ago was especially you and your riffing like your riffs are what puts kick axe above so many other bands that we've heard from the era cool so like yep. <laughs> I definitely like to riff, that's for sure. <laughs> do that all night. If people don't listen to it, I'll just keep going. Like where do I never get from? tired of doing it? <laughs> like how, how do you how do you kind of like keep coming up with them? Uh I don't know. You know, it's just to create creativity, uh, letting your imagination run wild, try to uh express your feelings through what you're playing. And uh, you know. A lot of influences I, I mean there's a lot of guitar players who have influenced me over the ages and you know i could go through a long list of like you know dozens of them but you know hendrix jimmy page richie blackmore uh you know there, there's so many of them that if i start going down a list i just get lost but uh, there's three of them 
<laughs> so then you know pretty good ones pretty decent yeah, yeah they they can play yeah yeah, yeah. what's your yeah, songwriting what's the songwriting process like for kickax now and you know what was it like in the early days uh now it's it's a lot of it is is danny and myself uh but we involve everybody but uh we're a little more focused danny and i go to a lot of rock shows still you know like we're the, some of the older people in some of these shows, but you know, we go to everyone we can go to it. You know, a, a lot of real modern metal acts and, you know, we go to every single show that is available and we talk about what we want to do. And, and so, yes, I, I would say it's mostly Danny and I right now, but the, uh, the rest of the band, when we all get together, we shape the song into uh, a kick-ass song because we need all the components and they need to drive it and shape it um but it's fun i can tell you that much it's fun the whole band loves the whole process they come here to this room and this <laughs> is what we get usually doing yeah it looks like a pretty sizable room that's for sure 500 square feet you can easily fit a band in there <laughs> <laughs> you can dance around a little bit while you're at it uh, how did it tends to get all cluttered though you know I just... <laughs> Mike stands, guitars, everywhere. How many guitars do you have? Let's see, they're up on the wall there, but seven. <laughs> I could have more. That's actually not that many. We've seen people with a lot more than that. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if it, there's some other acoustic guitars somewhere, but uh, seven electric guitars is is more than enough for, for your you're a regular person. <laughs> how how many do would you typically play on an album? Like, do you do you kind of have your favorite that you that you go to most of the time, or do you maybe play two or three? On a Pickaxe album, I only use uh, my Gibson SG or my my Dean Bluebird. They're uh, they're both customized uh, to have a Kickaxe sound, you know, and they're the only guitars I've used on any Kickaxe album since. So those are the only two I use. Yeah, that's that is pretty impressive that that you've only used two guitars on on the albums. Just, uh, <laughs> but I yeah. guess if it's that kick axe sound, then that's kind of what you want. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's the nice thing it's about going all the way back to 1984, and and yeah, only those two since really. Yeah, that's it. And they're they're still functioning today. <laughs> no matter what I put them to, I've driven over the SG with my car. And, <laughs> and the dean got uh, the neck got broken on it when they when it, they knocked the amp over, and the dean was beside it and it smashed the neck on it. But uh, you got them repaired and keep using. <laughs> now those now the, the stories that those instruments could tell, I would be willing to that would be great. <laughs> Yeah, they have, they've all been covered in blood at one time or another or something. You know, it's, it's uh, you know, you cut your hand. You, you, it's, it, you know, just weird things happen. To, and those guitars could tell the tales. <laughs> Falling off the stage. Is that like is that kind of thing typical of like, you know, cutting your hands or falling off the stage? Uh, it's not typical. You know, you remember the times when that happens, you know. <laughs> rip your hand you, you're doing something live and you go and you go oh you know and you realize you just cut your finger wide open and you're still playing but there's blood all over your guitar 
And it gets <laughs> a little extra hard to play. Yeah, there's no no doubt that would certainly be a surprise to the fans. Oh, look, it's part of the show. Yeah. We've changed into uh, Guar. Yeah, yes. <laughs> <laughs> More blood gushing all over the place. That's uh, As long as it's only blood gush- gushing all over the place when it's war, it tends to be other stuff, too. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so then, um, how many shows are, do you guys kind of have uh, coming up in the next little bit? And and I heard tell that you're looking at like a Canadian uh, package deal again. Yeah. So probably won't play that much in uh, 2023 anymore. There might be a date or two, but uh, we're trying to secure a bunch of dates for 2024 and make sure that all the band members are available for those dates. And, um, you know, that, that we have the other bands who, who we intend to actually work with on those, coordinate all those dates. So I'm working on that now way ahead of time to make sure that it's, it's all set up and, and ready to go when the time comes. I'm hoping it's probably 20 to 30 dates um, going across Canada, maybe down to uh, California and uh, Las Vegas. Those are all in sort of in the, uh, in the planning stages. How difficult then is it to kind of uh, set up those dates nowadays? Uh, not easy. Um, you know, most of the agents that I've worked with are getting on in years and uh, retiring. And so um, I'm working with new people, trying to, uh, you know, ensure that um, they have the band's best interests at heart uh, when we're putting this stuff together. And uh, making sure that the logistics of the whole thing actually uh, makes sense. And so that uh, we're not looking to make a pile of money. We're going to sell some merchandise, of course, on the tour and help, you know, help pay for everything. But uh, this is mostly just because we want to get out there and play in front of fans. So as long as it's even a break even sort of situation, it's great for us. It's just a paid vacation at that point. (laughs) Well, especially if you get to go down to L.A. and uh, L.A., Las Vegas, that kind of thing. Oh, and Calgary, you know, I mean, because because who wouldn't want to come vacation here? (laughs) Yeah, I love those are three big ones. Yeah, yes. Some of the best times of my life were in Calgary. <laughs> Did you ever I'll play? There's Fra- a story there now. <laughs> yes. Did you ever play Frankie and Johnny's? Are you kidding me? <laughs> we were the house band, I think. <laughs> we did their ad on the radio. <laughs> oh wow! Okay. Oh really? <laughs> and, the, and the whole blackout crazy is about Frankie and Johnny's and the annex upstairs that. Uh, the whole club would basically leave the leave and go up the fire escape to the annex. And we would party until 5 a.m. with half the audience, pretty much. It was so crazy. And that picture is uh, is of Brian holding the door, the picture on the thumbnail. That's Brian holding. That's the real door from the annex at Frankie and Johnny's. That's a real picture of him. <laughs> nice. Wow. Ripped it off. And then uh, the next day, we repaired everything. <laughs> We were accountable for that sort of stuff. We might crash a place, but then we would fix it. Yeah, that, that's the Canadian rock and roll way. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we're we're a little polite about it. You know? yeah. A little late on it. But... <laughs> oh, uh... wow. I didn't realize. So, is there other, other clubs like that that are not around anymore that you kind of miss that were Canadian just 
iconic places that that uh you know what are some of the ones we should remember um for me uh, winnipeg was one of the best places as kickax was just getting going like really just before the first album and uh the black knight and the osborne village which was called the zoo there um we played there it was you know we played for a week playing all original material before the first album and it was sold out every night with a long lineup and just fantastic crowds and they, we would go into the night same thing you know like after the show we would party with the fans until 3 4 a.m and uh yeah i remember those places and then later on after the album was out uh you know the gas works in toronto uh, rock and roll heaven in toronto those were great places to play those are the ones that stick out in my mind anyway so then one of the things that we gas works we know the gas works so we've heard that name before a few times yeah yeah and, and rock and roll heaven too but uh one of the things that we've heard a lot about with talking about canadian musicians is what it's like to travel across canada and be on tour and and just the you know the fact that there's so much distance between the stops and do you have any crazy stories about about being out like in a van in the winter and that kind of thing yeah it's not it's not great to be traveling in a van in the winter in canada you know <laughs> as you guys that you're aware um yeah we've gone off the road a few times no one has ever gotten really hurt but uh, you know i remember being in the van and just white knuckled you're going down a hill and just going down a hill in the winter and can be really dangerous. And then all of a sudden you're going sideways. Uh oh, here we go. I hope we don't roll a few times. But um, you know, moose is on the road. Oops, you know, just about with that. And then a lot of times uh it just got so overwhelming for me that I would be the only guy that say, I'm going to the airport and I'm flying. <laughs> I'm not driving from Winnipeg to Vancouver, no way. You know, it's not, you know, it's blizzard conditions. Oh, they're going to go do it. I said, well, no, I'm going to use my own money and I'm going to go fly to Vancouver. I'm not driving. So, you know, it, it was not something I looked forward to. And, you know, then I remember in the tour bus when we're not driving, so you can't really see what's going on. And you're you're lying in your bunk or you're in the lounge of the tour bus. And all of a sudden you can tell it's going sideways. What is going on? You go up to the front of the bus driver and he's almost sleeping and it's like Whoa. <laughs> it's dangerous traveling as a band and it, you know band members have been killed there's many examples helix metallica you know it, it, you never know when it's going to happen so you're lying in your bed hoping you make it to the next place or I, I remember one time we we woke up the the police were in the bus asking us to move the bus and i said well, where's the bus driver and nobody knew he was picking up his girlfriend at the airport in a no parking zone <laughs> bus there so you know we were trying to explain to him we don't know how to drive the bus and, you know, <laughs> <laughs> had to go running into the airport and page him and say like you know they're going to tow the bus away <laughs> with you on it <laughs> i know so uh, you know uh, uh, otherwise, he would have had to pay for a taxi. So it's understandable. Yeah. You know, yeah. there's few, probably times you had to. Yeah, those are the few things I can recall. But there were many, many uh, events. Some funny, some not so funny. I mean, that's the thing is you had to get out to some of those really northern cities that, that they're the smaller towns. But you know, I mean, that's part of the Canadian leg of the you know when 
And uh, back in the day, that was part of the that was part of the the thing was to get out to those small northern you know cities in northern you know Saskatchewan and Alberta and these different places and oh, just yeah. you know hit those small yeah. towns. It's called paying your dues. <laughs> yeah. I remember going, uh, you know, we played in uh, two weeks in a Chinese restaurant in New Hazel to northern BC, staying in an unheated trailer. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody there on Monday, Wednesday, Thursday. The place packed with indigenous people on Thursday and then the regular town folk on Friday and Saturday and then do it all again next week. Uh, it was just a weird pattern in that, you know, we ended up just partying with the RCMP. Those are the only people. <laughs> Weird. <laughs> that, that does sound one thing i'm noticing every story every story ends with we ended up partying until three in the morning <laughs> yeah that's last night as well so you know. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, and, and that's the thing you know it, it is good that age hasn't mellowed you in any way shape or form um, you know there's some people who would say you know when are you going to slow down larry and it's like i don't know I take Clint Eastwood's advice. Don't let the old man in. <laughs> Stay, you're always a kid until you say you're not. Ah, that's true. That is very true. So then do you kind of handle the business for, for the entire band? No. Um, I, I tend to take the lead on the creative side of things and, you know, and promoting the band, uh, you know, on uh, social media and those sorts of things. But uh, my brother, Brian does uh, a lot of the logistical coordination, and and so does Victor. Uh, everybody tries to do their share, but I would say at this point I am probably leading the band uh, because I'm, I'm most visible and most active. But I rely on every single guy in the band to do something and and contribute. Yeah, because it would probably be hard, I guess, if you were taking on everything and and then everybody else was just kind of reaping the rewards of of your hard work. No, no, you know, we, it, it's a group effort. Um, I, I happen to have a little more resources and, and available to me than some of the other guys do. So I can get some of this stuff done. And uh, that's the main reason why I'm doing it. So then, you know, when are we hear our next single from you guys? Yeah. Um, October, beginning early October. October, nice. Yeah. Nice. So it's, it's all ready to go. It's just I need to have a specific date and and try to get a bigger launch. I mean, Blackout Crazy, we kind of were feeling our way through for the next single, which is called Run to the Thunder. It's um, nice. It I like be, it already. It needs to be a little more uh, staged. And so uh, I'm, I'm putting together a video using a lot of, um, you know, just performance stuff from the band, but I'm, I'm enhancing it with a lot of AI generated uh, uh, scenery and changing the characters a little bit. Not like I've seen some bands where they just go full AI and the whole video is all AI. I think that's just too much. And people kind of say, well, I'd like to see the real band too, you know? So uh, it's going to be kind of a mix of that. Uh, it, it So far it's looking really cool. So I'm hoping that I can put the whole thing together and have it all ready for October. So is that part of just, you know, you dealing with all the creative stuff is uh, cutting all the videos and that kind of thing? Yeah. Yeah. How long have you been doing that? And uh, like, did you just kind of fall into it? Uh, no, I'm a, 
I've been a software engineer for 25 years and um, I still am. I am the uh, group leader for North America for a high, uh, global technology cybersecurity company. <laughs> uh, you know, most people will be surprised by that maybe, but uh, that's where that funds a lot of the things I do. So, uh, <laughs> so I, I, I do a lot of um, video presentations for uh, cybersecurity conferences and things like that. Um, so, I mean, that's where it kind of comes from. That's where I have the resources to do it. But uh, I don't do anything like what I'm doing with Kickaxe and those things. So this is all exploratory for me and, and a lot of fun. You know, I'm having a lot of fun doing it. So it's it, the, probably Scratch is a different creative of, edge, right? Sorry, I, I missed your question. I said it probably Scratch is a different creative edge for you, right? Definitely. Uh, I mean, generally, uh, you know, software engineering has a very similar uh, creative component to uh, playing the guitar and and coming up with ideas. It, it has similar challenges. There's, there's thousands of ways to do the same thing, and it's up to you to come up with what do you think is the most creative and effective way of doing something. And so it 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 taps into that same thing and gives me the same kind of fulfillment. Um, and so yeah, it. it it, you know, in the end, it's all just creativity to me. And that, and that's where I'd love to live is in the creative space. How difficult we're, uh, is it? We were talking once to... Oh, go ahead, Brad. Well, I was going to ask how difficult it is to kind of manage the job versus the kickaxe. Uh, not difficult at all. Um, the people I work with are big fans of kickaxe. <laughs> Surprisingly, there's a thousand of them in the company who know <laughs> about kickaxe. And, and they're more... They're always willing to talk to me more about that than the company business. And, uh, you know, I've played in the company band in Israel many times. It's, it's, I mean, it, I don't have to change. It's not like George Costanza where, it, you know, there's two worlds colliding. I'm, I'm in the same uh, world all the time. Um, yeah, it's great. It's a good place to be where, where, you know, the people you work with really support your, uh, your effort in music. It was interesting. We were talking to uh, Lips from Anvil one time, and uh, and he was telling us, you know, kind of like mathematically how he puts a song together. You know, like taking like this professor like approach to it. You know, about how you how you do it, and and uh, and it was fascinating. He completely lost me. Like I couldn't I couldn't keep up with where it was coming at mathematically to create the song, but but it was fascinating. So for you, I, I guess it's more of a feel thing, is it? Or do you, uh, no, I, do you I would, how do you kind of approach it? I would tend to agree with Lips a little bit on that. There is you, you start with a sort of a mathematical approach that you know there's a beginning, it needs to be interesting, there's an ending that needs to, you know kind of finalize what you were trying to do with the song you need to have some sort of uh, context that the song is going to live in and then there's choruses bridges takeaways things like that and you put them together like pieces uh, sometimes you, you come up with all of those but how do i connect them in an interesting way uh, you know so i think there is the odd song whether you write and you just kind of write it as you go along with feeling but those are fairly rare I would say there is kind of a mathematical formula for putting them together. And the, the key to making it interesting is changing up that formula 
in a way that has never been done before. And it's very similar to, uh, you know, uh, fighting uh, cyber attacks and things like that. It's being creative and and coming up with something that nobody could have thought of. That's you know, you always taking that approach. <laughs> What's that? <laughs> have you always taken? Have you always approached it like that? Like was that how you were doing it instinctively back in the day too, or kind I of have so. you learned the art of songwriting more? Um, I well, I definitely think songwriting evolves over time. I don't recall any period when I actually just changed the way I do it. It was just over time. I don't think you'd even be aware of how you're changing, but there's no doubt that you are changing your process as you age and, and learn things and get wiser. And um, so, yeah, I would say it seems to me I'm still using the same approach, but I, I probably if I went back and looked at the way I was doing it, then I'd say, wow, that was totally different. How is it that you guys? Yeah, we were listening. Oh, yeah, we were listening on Saturday to you know your discography, me and Brett were uh, doing our fantasy football drafts, and we had your music on in the background, and and uh, you know listening to you, and it was like there seemed to be kind of a a uh, change philosophically in the third album, you know of of how you know, the music was coming out and the lyrics and everything. Yeah, yeah, you know, a lot of people have mentioned that, that it was more like Vices was more like straight on. Welcome to the Club was a little more wider. Uh, and Rock the World was a little more dark and fantasy oriented. Uh, that could have been a lot to do with me. And, I, you know, I wrote most of the material. And you know how you, you have, you know, two decades to write your first album. And then use some of that stuff on the second album. By the time you get to the third album, it's all new. And so that's kind of where I think people detect a change, not only in, in Kickaxe, but a lot of bands tend to, you know, use up all of the songs they've written for decades by their third album or fourth album, if you're lucky. And then it's all stuff that's just sort of written. And so it does tend to have a, a little bit of a different vibe to it. And that, that's the only thing I can think. It's funny because so many people, we, we talk to them and it's like, that's what they say, that you have, you have your whole life to write that first album. That's why it's often so tough to talk. I mean, you would think then you go out in the world, you tour the world, you play that first album, you get better, even then you have the experience and you get better and have a better second album, better third album, better fourth. But it's, sometimes it doesn't work that way. Sometimes those first couple albums are, are, are the peak for people. I think that's why I can't wait to hear more music from you guys because I get the feeling we're now going to hear your peak. Yeah, well, it, it's similar thing where now it's been you know twenty years since we've written material, and um, and we've kind of gone come full circle to the place where we were when we were doing vices, uh, both mentally and uh, I hope physically. And <laughs> you know, it's a. Uh, it, it it feels like it felt back then right now when we're writing material and putting it out. And, uh, you know, I hope everyone's going to like it. There's a lot of things going on in the background right now that, you know, uh, if they come through, will uh, definitely help uh, push this thing forward. Well, that is, that's great. Uh, how do you, how do you choose a set list now? Cause I mean, you guys have got so many great songs. 
Like, how do you kind of narrow them down? Uh, that's a good question. Uh, it's you know, there's a lot of requests from fans to play a bunch of different songs. We generally pick the songs that the band feels the most comfortable playing and feel like we can shine on stage with. Um, and, and because Vices is the most popular album, we tend to pick a lot of songs from there. But there are songs like Welcome to the Club and Hellraisers from the second album that are some of the be- our favorite things to play live. We we change Hellraisers around quite a bit in the live show and and uh, gives Danny and I a chance to do, you know, the hair and all that kind of stuff and uh, double kick, just go crazy at the end. Uh, but, you know, we love doing the chain off of Rock the World. It's it, it's another one that's really got a lot of areas in it that allow people to shine. So I guess, you know, my answer to the question was we look at the song and, and look at how much fun is this going to be for everybody live and how much is it going to, uh, you know, allow people to uh, project themselves. Are there any of those songs that you're just kind of tired of playing or or are you generally good with everything? Uh, yeah, I'm good with everything, you know, no matter which song we play. But, you know, I love playing heavy metal shuffle and I like playing road to rock. And I'll never get tired of playing those songs. And we always generally open with Alive and Kicking because it's what it's a message we're uh, sending to people. Like, we're still here. <laughs> <laughs> are there are there songs then that you like just generally won't play off the albums because they're they're either maybe too hard, they just don't quite fit the the vibe of a show nowadays? Uh there's definitely songs off of Rock the World that are just too hard to play. Um uh, Sometimes you go into the studio and and you lay stuff down, not really thinking about how you're going to do this live, and then you go out and try to do it live and go like, "Wow, that's really hard," you know. Um, it's similar, like you know, Led Zeppelin had a song called Four Sticks." They tried it live once and they never tried it again because it's just too hard. We tried it as a cover, and we <laughs> second time we get lost in the song. So it's <laughs> oh, I see why they don't play it. You know, it's like it's really hard. Um, it's just because it wanders in the timing. And if you if if you're looking out and you you're looking at some girl in the audience or something, and for two seconds you lost, you know. So <laughs> um, yeah, there, there are songs like that that uh you know we just can't do live. Um so th- those those are the two criteria. Either they're just really hard to pull off and make them work live, or you know, they're just not something that allows anyone to shine, so it, it doesn't serve a purpose in a live show. Hmm. Yeah. Well, and I'm sure Danny must be so happy with to have Blackout Crazy and to be able to know that like his mark is getting made now. Yeah. Yeah. He's really happy, and you know, and Run to the Thunder. Uh, Going to feature him a little bit more in the video. Um, so, and he deserves it. He he he's a really good front guy for the band. We're uh, really comfortable with with having him, you know, being the guy out front. He just does a great job. We're just like a an entire unit, a family. Um, we we have a band dinner before every show, and you know, it's just we all look forward to that, and then we party together the whole band afterwards. So it's just like the old days. 
Now, one of the one of the coolest things about you guys, which and and it's certainly one of the one of those times where I remember hearing you. I mean, like being on the Much Music compilation album, you know, Thirty Days in the Hole, stuff like that. But also, like Up the Creek, and and my personal favorite was being on the Transformers soundtrack as Spectre General. Like, yeah. that's, that's just that <laughs> like, there's no such band as Vector General so, I know that's yes because I, I, I just remember because I mean that soundtrack is so awesome and then I just remember thinking oh man this Specter General band sounds really good and then it's just like oh no that's Kickaxe so oh, that explains it yeah that's it's infuriating a little bit you know I look on YouTube millions of views for a band called Specter General you look on Spotify millions of streams for a band called Specter General that band doesn't exist. That's Kickaxe. They have more views and more uh, streams than we do. What's going on? How's that reality? Yeah, I know. The, like, does that money ever get like? Can that money, the streams, get filtered towards you, or does that just go to like the studio? I don't know who that goes to. It goes somewhere, but doesn't come here. <laughs> oh, that is terrible because. Yeah. yeah, and and just the idea that somebody could think, oh, Kickaxe sounds too. Uh, too much for kids yeah i think that's the reason but i've never really been clear on on why i think that it was explained to me but the explanation seemed so iffy that it didn't stick in my brain so you know i i don't know i, I think i recall it being the you know that the movie company didn't want that but there may also been some contractual things so i'm not 100 percent sure but uh, i know that um we're playing both those songs live now because they're popular and uh we're le also letting people know that they are songs we actually did and there is no specter general <laughs> yes. you come up with the name specter general anyways because i'm like <laughs> uh, i did so I'm you did okay okay well that's <laughs> what good. was the inspiration behind that you're just like that sounds cool so i'm like oh, specter general I, doesn't sound anything like kick ass gave them a list of 20 names said we needed we need wow. to use a different name and i gave them a list of 20 and they picked up out of the 20. oh wow nice okay that's crazy. yeah that's a crazy story how how did that make you feel then when when they said that like was that kind of one of those moments where you were a little a little upset yeah a little bit i mean i'm glad they didn't pick uh you know some of the other names like uh the johnsons or something like that but, yeah. <laughs> that would have been harder yes but uh you know yeah we were like touring at the time and there was there was so many other things going on that uh um you know in hindsight we could have paid more attention to some of these things that were going on but uh, we trusted we trusted a lot of people maybe that we shouldn't have in the music business i mean that's not a new story by any means but uh you know, like I, I've said to other people, I don't have any regrets and I don't know if I'd do anything differently if I was to relive the whole experience. Um, yeah. I mean, I was having fun. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And you are in the classic up the creek. So like you say, that's that's uh, that's, yeah, that's a classic right there. Cheap trick, heart, beach voice. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So then they were all there in the studio around the same time so. oh wow so yeah have you like what kind of studio interactions with other bands have you had um you know um 
obviously all the Canadian bands, we we have a lot of uh, brotherly interactions with them, like Helix, Killer Dwarfs, bands like that, you know, across the board, Lee Aaron. It, it's, it's really um, a lot of interaction there. But as far as, um, you know, bigger bands, it's just when we're touring with them or when we were recording and, and we go to the Rainbow Bar and Grill and run into, uh, you know, uh, um, Wasp or uh, Motley Crue, uh, Richie Blackmore, Dio, you know, people like that. You get to talk to them because you're there, you're in the center of the scene, you're interacting. But otherwise, it's just the bands we've toured with, like Judas Priest, Scorpions, White Snake. Lots of fun with those guys. Mm. Were you going to go to the Wasp? Pretty small bands, I think. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Rush, Triumph. (laughs) Yeah. Nobody there. I mean, they can't play their instruments at all. I mean, it's a blow them off the stage easily. So it's yeah. also fun touring with those with those kind of bands because you get to meet them and talk to them and and, and you know have some conversations with your heroes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Were you going to go to the Wasp Wasp show in Vancouver um, in August? Uh, I didn't have a ticket, but Danny did. Our, our <laughs> and uh, you know, Blackie Lawless is awesome. He sure is. Yes, I was. I was going to go to that one as well. So <laughs> I was uh, sad when it when it got postponed in that regard. But but at the same time, understandable given his back issues. Yeah, yeah. Um, I've, I've met him several times down in in Los Angeles. He's a great guy. Yeah. See, I mean, I always thought he was one of the more underrated songwriters too. Like, I don't think he gets the credit as a songwriter that he deserves. Yeah. Well, you know, that happens to a lot of people. <laughs> <laughs> they don't get yeah. credit for songs that they even wrote sometimes mm-hmm. well yeah i mean you guys have written yeah. so many songs and and wind up in so many places that uh <laughs> i mean you know is it do you find it difficult to write songs because i know we've talked to some people i mean even brian volmer who who says that you know sometimes creating a song can take a long time do you find that for you yeah it does take a long time so um, some songs come really quickly they just seem to click and other ones you know that there's a song in there but you just you just struggle with it and try to get it to that point but i think there's also periods when you can really somehow see the the future of the song clearly and then other times where it's just cloudy and i'm not sure what causes that to happen you know is it a kind of a writer's block thing in your head uh, but it does it does happen where you just can't get, get the song to 100 um, percent but i'm not feeling that these days the songs are coming together pretty good and uh i was working on a couple new ones today it, it just they feel good you know so i'm uh i'm talking to a a couple of um producers about helping with some of these newer tunes and uh, we'll see what happens there now going you know going back to the old days again like what kind of lessons did you learn from Spencer Proffer, you know, and working with him and being on the Pasha label and stuff like that? Well, Spencer is uh, an amazing guy. You know, uh, when I first met him in Edmonton, uh, it was, you know, he, he came to see us in, in uh, a bar in Edmonton. I can't remember which one. I think it was the Beverly Crest. And um, there was a big barroom brawl. And and Brian broke his bass drum skin. It was just one of those weird nights. And Bruce Dickinson was in the audience because Iron Maiden had played that night. And I think he was in the barroom brawl. 
<laughs> oh, you don't want to mess with Bruce. <laughs> that's where Spencer showed up to see the band. And then I went and talked to him in the hotel room afterwards. And, uh, you know, he he was happy with what he heard. He said he had already kind of made up his mind before he saw the band, but now he was sure. And um, set up the deal. We didn't actually go, go down there for several months after that. But um, went down there. He set everything up for us, uh, where to live down there. Bought, uh, rented a beautiful uh, rehearsal studio at Paramount Studios for us. That uh, was just really, really conducive to putting the songs together. And then we went in and we laid all the beds down in one day. It was, you know, the, all the beds for vices in just one day. Because we just had them down. Like, we played them one after the other. And, and he just was going like, well, there's no point in doing them again. Those were perfect. So why should we, you know, mess with them? And so we went right from there onto the second day, just, you know, laying down the lead guitar overdubs and working on the vocals. Uh, went really well, went really smooth. And then uh, we went into the mixing phase. So we did it all while we were down there. And every night we would be going to the Rainbow Bar and Grill or some other place and partying with all the bands and just a lot of fun. And then who knows what could happen? We come back to Canada, start touring, and all of a sudden we're on Judas Priest tour. <laughs> Life was good. Is there any advantages <laughs> to being Canadian? To you know, to kicking your career off in Canada? There was definitely an advantage of getting into the Rainbow Bar and Grill. They really liked Canadians. Say, just park your dog sled here, and <laughs> line up, you know. But I, I don't know if it, being a Canadian was any sort of advantage in the industry. If anything, I think it was probably a disadvantage. Because you, yeah. you just don't know as many people and you're not as connected with uh, the industry as people who are growing up right there in the heart of it. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting because, uh, I mean, Canada has produced so many amazingly talented musicians, but but you still don't think of it nearly nearly along the same level as the U.S. No, you know, it's definitely a struggle. Most bands only become famous in Canada after they've succeeded somewhere else, and which is, you know, unfortunate. And I think a lot of that has to do with uh, bands that come up initially in, in Canada as being popular people presume that they're popular or that they're having some success because they're being subsidized by the canadian government or there's there's some other thing and it's not real so uh, then they go somewhere else and make it they go oh they are real you know you see uh, so many bands that became successful in canada only became successful after they were successful outside of canada you know rush is a good example this is true. I think the Canadians we sometimes are a little that's a little bit of our uh, our uh, identity crisis. You know, will you love us? Oh, we should love. Her. Then we can love ourselves. You know. <laughs> yeah, well, I guess they like them, so we should like them. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. Um, with Kickaxe, uh, I don't know if that was you know that had an effect, but probably uh, you know other bands that were in our same space at that same time that we're not having the success outside uh, did not get as much attention. So I think that that has a lot to do with it. Do you find now that the Canadians are very accepting of kickaxe and, and that, that you have a good core audience? Yeah. Surprisingly that there's still uh, quite a core base there. I, I was, uh, you know, 
pleasantly surprised with that when I started uh, pushing a little bit on social media and find that, hey, there's still a lot of people out there who would like to hear more kick-ass music. So uh, why aren't we doing it? <laughs> um, yeah, that's right. That's right. Count us among them. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I think that it was surprising. You know, we were hibernating for quite a, a time. And then when we came back and did Kickaxe 4, we were kind of in a weird space and it wasn't really representative of Kickaxe. So now we're we're really, uh, you know, back to where we were, as I mentioned, you know, come full circle trying to, uh, you know, put out music that the fans of Kickaxe want to hear. And that's, that's because we're fans of our own band. <laughs> this is what we want to hear. And that's <laughs> that's the space we're in right now. Well, and and I think that's that's one of the things that we can tell and that we love about about you guys and and especially about Blackout Crazy because it just it just feels like it's kickaxe. That's awesome to hear that because it feels and, like it to me too. Yeah, and and that's and that's exactly it, you know. And and as far as a legacy for you guys, I mean, it's great that you're able to come back and and record this new music and give the fans exactly what they want. Yeah, um, it feels good. You know, it feels really good. We we kind of sensed that we were on the right track when we started playing these songs just at the live shows. So they were not out. There was no no way anyone could have heard them before. And yet the response was the same as for, you know, the songs that they, they knew. So we thought, well, they must be fitting in because people are reacting the same way to these songs as to the, you know, the classic songs. So um, and we were well on our way to recording them at that point but it was good reassurance mm -hmm, mm -hmm. well larry um i will say it's been amazing talking to you i know we've had a great time and uh we certainly want to give you the chance to tell everybody how they can keep up with kickaxe how they can keep up with you everything yeah just just you know tell them everything all right well you know we've had that first single out and a video so hopefully people are checking that out uh run to the thunder will be available in a few weeks and um that's going to be a real interesting and fun song it uh, likens back to the kind of the welcome to the club feel but um with a little more thunder and then uh um we're we're not sure but fingers crossed we're we're going to have those two songs and three to four more on an album before the end of the year that is the plan um you know things could could uh, block that in some way, you, you never know. But that's the plan right now, is to have that album available on disc, vinyl, and, and have it uh, on both on their site and Amazon and everywhere so that people can actually buy it. Um, and then tour in 2024, like up to 30 days. And um, it'll be early, like not not winter, you know, we talked about <laughs> winter in Canada, but uh, probably the spring and into the summer some festivals in the summer so and i and i you know we love performing and we love meeting the fans and talking about music so anybody wants to contact me and talk about music i'm available <laughs> well i i know for a fact that uh you know i look forward to adding that uh, vinyl to my collection and i certainly look forward to uh to getting us out there to see you guys again because uh because you know you're awesome on stage as well Thank you. Thank you. It's been fun talking to you guys and uh, appreciate all the, uh, the, the your comments and your input. Well, thanks a lot, Larry. We wish you nothing but the best in the future and we'll talk to you again. Thank you, sir.
All right. Rock on. All right. Bye for now. Rock on.